Hey church, welcome to episode three of our series, Love Works. And tonight, we are discussing friendship. How does love work in friendship? And our verse for this evening comes from the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, chapter 17, verse 17. Just one verse, but if you know Proverbs, there's a lot there. So book of Proverbs, verse, chapter 17, verse 17, says this. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. When I was reading this this past week, I immediately thought about friend gangs. You may call it a circle of friends, a group of friends. I like to call it a friend gang. Most of us have had friend gangs growing up whether you had them in elementary school, middle school, high school, in college, a group of friends that you'd spend so much time together, you were connected, maybe you roamed around the neighborhood looking to get into some mischief together. Friend gangs. And, and most of us have had different friend gangs at different times in our life. I know for me in elementary school, I had my friend gang in the neighborhood. We would go build forts and abandoned lots. We would go to 7-Eleven to get Slurpees, and we would trade Pogs. Remember Pogs? The Slammers? Friend gang. Then I had a friend gang with skateboarders. Got into skateboarding. We would go into alleys, and we would go to different buildings that had staircases and rails to try to do tricks, and we were just trying to be together until the cops came, and then we'd run away. You know, the friend gang. Had one in high school with team sports. Maybe you resonate with that too, through sports, through a neighborhood, through college, you had a group of friends where you had this special bond, there was deep love between each other, and you did so much together. You did everything together. It was your circle of friends or your friend gang. And this is so common for so many of us, and our experience in life has had different friend games at different, at different times that our media actually reaches out to this and kind of connects this to us. There's a nostalgia when we watch a movie or a show and we see a friend gang. That's why Stranger Things, I think, is, is so big. We're connected to that group of friends. We see them doing everything together. There's so many other movies and shows that are like this too. Sandlot, remember Sandlot? What a great friend gang. The movie E.T., the movie Holes, I used to love that very underrated film, Holes, with Shia LaBeouf. Or Ernest Goes to Camp. Did you ever see Ernest Goes to Camp? I used to love Ernest Goes to Camp. There's all these movies, and it's just a group of friends, and there's an obvious bond. There's a connection there, so much like the very beginning of this verse, chapter 17, in the book of Proverbs, verse 17, where it says, a friend loves at all times. See, in, the, in these stories, in these movies, in these shows, and even in our own experiences, with this close group of friends, there are times where it feels like there is love at all times. When things are good and when adversity comes, all the movies are like that. There's a connection, there's friendship, and then when there's adversity, when there's something to conquer in the movie, they all band together. They don't leave anybody behind. Everybody supports each other, even though each of them is different have different struggles and different things in their own life, but they come together to conquer adversity. They love at all times. And one of the things that's interesting in these films and shows is that there is a sense that the group of friends or the friend gang 
is closer with one another than even with their own families. That they're closer to one another than they are with their own siblings. Which is what this verse is saying. It's saying that a friend loves at all times and a brother or a sibling is made for adversity. The the word here for us is that there's a unique type of love between friends. True friends that love at all times. It's special. It's different. In fact, it's different from the type of love in a family. That families seek to have love and good families have love, but oftentimes you see that love manifested when there's adversity. That a brother or a sibling is born for adversity. That when you go through a hard time, when there's a struggle, when there's adversity in your life, then family will come to support. But sometimes you can have family members and siblings that you don't really like. You may not want to go get a drink with them. You don't want to go on vacation with them, or at least not for too long. But friends are different. Friends love at all times. See, there's a comparison here between the different type of love, between family love and friendship. And friendship is such a vital love. And it is one that we'll discuss tonight that we often ignore. We overlook and we don't put enough of our time and attention to. But we must because it is special. So, how does love work in friendship? How does love work in friendship? Proverbs says that a friend loves at all times, but how does it actually work? What are the details of this type of friendship? And so we're going to get into a few specifics, and here's what we're going to work with. The idea that love works in friendship through proximity, loyalty, and it produces joy. Love works in friendship through proximity, loyalty, and it produces joy. So first up, proximity. Friendship needs proximity. It requires proximity. Now, this term, this word, is kind of being reevaluated. What does it mean to be in proximity to somebody else? What does it mean to be close to or near to somebody else? You see, this kind of balancing act that we find ourselves in between the digital world and the physical world has made us kind of reevaluate what is nearness. What does it mean to be near to somebody, to be in proximity to somebody? Can I be in close proximity to somebody and near to somebody that I have not seen in a year, but I see them on FaceTime? Or I'm in a group chat with them. Or we share text messages often and pass around emails. Is there nearness there? What if I have a relationship with somebody that is solely based on digital connection? and There's been very little physical interaction. One of the conversations that's taking place in the life of the church is that is church online real church? Can you have nearness and proximity in a digital world. What does that mean? What does it look like to be near to somebody in that way, in the digital world? But I want to I address that by seeing two things. And the first is this. It's so important to get this. The digital world is not disconnected from the physical world. The digital world 
is not disconnected from the physical world. What you do in the digital world affects your real physical life. There is not a disconnect. When you interact with people online, you are interacting with real people. When you consume content online, you are consuming content created by real people. When you establish relationships with people online, those are real relationships. When you worship God online, you are worshiping a real God. There is not a disconnect between the digital world and the physical world. I used to love this uh, phrase, this saying, which was IRL, which means in real life. Because I used to think that, you know, there's, there's like kind of a difference between what you experience and what you engage in physically, and then there's the digital world. So I used to say that there are things that I do IRL in real life. Or is that IRL? Is that in real life? Or is that digital? But see, I no longer say that. Why? Because the digital world is real life. It is real life. There is not a disconnect between the two. And so I tell you this because I want to say that you can be near to somebody through a digital connection. You can worship God on a screen, on your phone, in your house. That you can have proximity to somebody by using technology and engaging in the digital world. The digital world is the real world. It is part of your real existence. That's the first thing. And the second thing you cannot leave out. And that is this. That though the digital world is not disconnected from the physical world, real friendships, real friendships intentionally work to be in physical proximity. Digital world is not disconnected from the physical world, but real friendships intentionally work to be in physical proximity, to be face-to-face, to spend time in the same room with one another. Now, I purposefully didn't put an amount of time to this. How much time must you spend in person? Because I think that that's different in different seasons and different stages of your life and in the life of a friendship. But it is crucial that your friendships have a component of physical proximity. That you are able to be near to your friend in the same room. Spend time in that way. And what it requires is intentionality. It requires you to be intentional. And the problem is that the digital world, which is not disconnected from our physical world, has made many of us lazy in terms of being intentional with friends. Because we know that we can connect online, we can connect with people in other cities and other countries, even in our own city, through a group message and feel some sort of nearness which is understandable. And so we become lazy to actually spend physical time with one another and we lack that intentionality. And we kind of blame it on technology. Well, you know, technology, it's a struggle and it's busy and there's a lot of things going on. As if technology is just like a new reality that we're struggling with and nobody else ever has. But that's not true. 
See, technology is always creating new things, but technology itself is not new. It is always creating new things, and we're wading unique and different waters than previous generations, but technology is not new. We like to sometimes imagine a world without technology, where everything is just in the moment, you're always just around your friends, you're in physical proximity, and you can go to a sunrise and watch it with a friend and not feel the need to take a picture and just be in the moment. Oh, the way it should be. But technology is not a new reality. It's created new things that make it complex for us to wade the physical world, balance it between that and the digital world. But it's not a new reality. In fact, this right here, God's Word, is a technological artifact. It is information being passed from one party to another. And the Apostle Paul actually speaks about the struggle of not being in physical proximity to his friends that he loves, and yet he believes that he is capable of communicating himself and actually having his presence be felt. There, there could be actually a nearness, even though he's not physically present, through the means of technology, through the means of the written words that he distributes to the churches where he has many friends. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the church in Corinth, he writes this. Listen to this. So interesting. He says, though I am absent in body, I am present in spirit. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul is writing and saying, hey, listen, I'm near to you. My spirit is present with you. Though I am not physically there, I'm with you. There's a closeness that's communicated through his words, through this technological artifact that we have, which is God's word. His word being communicated to us as it was communicated to the church. The Apostle Paul had many friends. In Romans chapter 16, he writes a list of them. About 30 of them he speaks about with deep affection. And he valued spending time with them physically, though it wasn't always possible. He had his missionary journeys where he was planting churches and he was going to visit different people. And so he yearned to be with people, but oftentimes it was not possible. But yet he was always intentional to set up time to go visit his friends. Because he understood that real friendships require intentionality to actually have physical proximity. So in Romans chapter 15, right before he talks about all of his friends, he writes to the church in Rome, and here's what he says. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. See, he's already been thinking about it. He's being intentional. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. So I'm going to Spain I hope to stop and see you. I'm already thinking about it. I'm being intentional. I want to be around you. And you can actually help me on the rest of my journey, but only after I have enjoyed your company for a while. 
he understands the importance of physical proximity. The Apostle John felt the same way. In 2 John, verse 12, he says this, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. See, he's communicating again. He's seeking to have some sort of nearness with his friends. But he says, it is important that I come see you face to face in order for our joy to be complete. Our friendship requires face to face interaction. And so though the digital world is the real world, real friendships require physical proximity. It requires us to be around each other face to face. And you may think, I know kind of the response to this oftentimes, and I feel it too, but I'm so busy. How busy I am. I'm so busy with my career. I'm so busy with my romantic relationships. I'm so busy with family. I mean, it's really hard to carve out time for friends, especially like to be in physical proximity with them. That's why most of my friendships exist in in the digital space. Well, you know someone that was really, really busy who made it a point to have friends that he spent time with face-to-face? Jesus. Pretty busy. Busy saving the world. And yet he spent time developing friendships. He spent time with his friends. And if there's anyone that could have lived on this earth without friends, it's Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had already perfect fellowship and relationship, perfect friendship within the Godhead. Father, Son, and Spirit are in perfect community with one another. It is the perfect example of friendship. In fact, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we read that it says, that God says, let us make man in our image. That from the beginning, Father, Son, and Spirit, the Trinity, are in perfect relationship and friendship with one another. So when Jesus comes from heaven to earth, still being fully God, takes on the form and the flesh of a man, being fully man, he reveals that it is necessary to have friends. To cultivate and develop friendships. Why? Because to be human is to have friends. To be human is to have friends. And in our individualistic culture, we put friendship on the back burner. We may say, yes, friends are important, but we put the love between friends on the back burner. And what we elevate is erotic love, romantic love. You don't see tabloids that say, let me tell you who's becoming friends with who. The tabloids are about who's sleeping with who. That's what is elevated. That's what is, people are concerned with. Who's sleeping with who? And where's the love triangle? And what's the love interest? Put friendship on the back burner. A great example of this is in one of my favorite books, and I always say my favorite movie, the trilogy of The Lord of the Rings. If you know me, talk about it often. 
But here's something really interesting. J.R.R. Tolkien, when he writes this trilogy, if you've read it, you know it's about friendship. It's about the fellowship of the ring. And there are love interests in the story, but the details of the love interest and the relationships is actually found in the appendix of the book. It's not a part of the main story because the story is about friendship. And yet, when Peter Jackson makes the movies, he takes the love interest and the relationships like Aragorn and Arwen, and he makes them prominent in the movie because he was making them for an individualistic culture that puts friendship on the back burner and really wants to see romantic love at the forefront. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? You see, we struggle to get too busy and to place friendship on the back burner. And every culture does this. Whatever culture maybe you've come from, you've been a part of, maybe you have been a part of conflicting cultures, it's always the case where friendship gets put backwards. As I said, in a liberal, individualistic culture, romance is elevated. In a conservative, traditional culture, family is elevated. In a socialistic, humanitarian culture, civic love is elevated. And friendship is placed back. Why? Because friendship is the only love that doesn't push itself on you. It's a deliberate love that you have to intentionally develop. Where romantic love is constantly pushed on you, you're biologically wired that way. Family love is, is always around you because everybody is from a family or seeking to develop a family. And everybody is a citizen of somewhere. And so there's always civic love and responsibility being placed on you too. Where friendship is always placed on the back burner because it doesn't push itself on you. It takes you being deliberate. It takes you being intentional saying, who are the people that I am going to spend time with and be in proximity to? And real friendship requires that. It requires you to be intentional. Because to be human is to have friends. I hope you hear that. To be human is to have friends. So don't let the busyness of your life, which we all are, don't let the busyness of your life dehumanize you by putting friendship on the back burner. Seek to have friends. See, as I said, Jesus would be the one person that could have existed on this planet without friends, being the Son of God, and yet He showed us the necessity of having friends by choosing 12. 12 close friends that He spent time with, that He was near to, that He was in proximity with. And that's also interesting. He chose 12. Jesus, I believe, could have had a lot of friends. Now, we know Jesus had a lot of followers that followed Him around and listened to His teaching and the crowds that assembled to hear what he was going to say and what kind of miracle he's going to do. I mean, think about it. Jesus, you walk up to him and you're blind. He says, you're blind. He says, okay, now see. Jesus, I got back pain. Okay, now you can walk. I mean, you want to be friends with Jesus. You're running out of food. He can just keep pulling food out of the basket. You're at a party, no wine. Jesus says, give me your water. Here you go. Wine. Jesus could have as many friends as he wanted, and yet he chooses 12. Why? Because you cannot be in proximity to everyone. 
You cannot be in proximity to all of your Facebook followers or all of your Instagram followers. You cannot be in proximity to every single person in the church. You cannot be in proximity to everyone in your office. You can only be in real proximity where you're being intentional to not only connect digitally, but to connect in person with a few people. Jesus shows us that it's about 12. 12 people. And then even then, within that friend gang, the disciples, the circle of friends, there's an inner circle. It goes from 12 to 3. There are three people that Jesus spends the most time with, that he's the most intentional with, that he's in the closest proximity to, and that's Peter, James, and John. They are there for every big moment. He, Jesus is constantly speaking to them. They were there at the transfiguration when Jesus reveals his glory. They're there when Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. They are there with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night when he was betrayed when he's praying to the Father. The inner circle. You see, it is vital that you have close friends and it is necessary that you have closer friends. It is okay to have closer friends and to understand that your close friends is kind of limited to 10 to 12 to 14, whatever it may be. Because Jesus models that for us. Because you can't be in proximity to everybody. Especially if proximity requires intentionality to be physically face-to-face. Love works in friendship through proximity. And loyalty. Again, Loyalty. We see this with Jesus and Peter in the inner circle. Peter and Jesus are very close. And I think Jesus is Peter's best friend. And Jesus is loyal to Peter. We see that in, in many different ways. One, Jesus is encouraging to Peter and he supports Peter. A great example of this is when Jesus is telling Peter, who is afraid, to have faith and walk on water, to come out to him. Jesus is encouraging. He's supportive. He's loyal to Peter. There when he makes a mistake and picks him up. But this isn't the only aspect of loyalty. That's the easiest aspect. It is easy to be loyal by being supportive and encouraging and helping pick people up when they fall. But where it's difficult to be loyal is to challenge and rebuke a friend. To challenge and rebuke knowing it will create a wound that will be hard to say and hard for them to receive. We see this with Peter and Jesus. Jesus is teaching about his eventual death and resurrection. And Peter doesn't like what his best friend is saying. So Peter pulls Jesus aside and is essentially like, listen, we don't want to hear all that. You're not going to die. I'm not going to let that happen. Like, we got you. It says that he rebukes him. And then Jesus looks at Peter and he says this, get behind me, Satan. Now that's a rebuke. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. Jesus knew that those were strong words. That was a very stern rebuke. There's a, a wound that was developed for Peter, but it was necessary. And Peter needed to hear it. He needed to be challenged in that way. And Jesus is loyal 
to Peter because he cares for his growth. He's devoted for him to see truth and grow. So loyalty isn't only encouraging your friends and supporting your friends and being there to help them up when they fall. It is also challenging your friends and rebuking your friends when they need that. So with your friends, who checks you? Who pulls you aside and says, hey, let's go to lunch, and at lunch they say, listen, you've had a really bad attitude recently. Hey, I saw the way that you, you responded to some of those things, and, and that, that's not okay. Or some of the things that you've been doing online, you need to alter the way that you're treating people. Who checks you? The book of Proverbs speaks about this. It says this in Proverbs 27, verse 6. Listen to this verse. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Man. Let me read that again. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You want to know someone that's not a friend? Somebody that's always kissing your feet. That's always saying nice things. That never challenges you. Because the kisses are from the enemy. They're always just kisses. Saying nice things, probably talking behind your back. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend is willing to challenge you, to rebuke you, even though they know it's going to create a wound, they know it's necessary because they're devoted to your growth. They are faithful to you. They are loyal. They want to see you grow. Loyalty means that you're okay with causing a wound by being honest with a friend. And that you're willing to receive that yourself when you have a good friend that will challenge you. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. And you see, love works through loyalty at all times. See, it's, it's loyalty to encourage, it's loyalty to support, it's loyalty to listen, to pick you up when you fall, it's loyalty to challenge, it's loyalty to rebuke, and it is loyalty when your friend disappoints you. And you hope that your friend also will be loyal to you when you disappoint them. It is loyalty at all times because a friend loves at all times. And love is loyalty. We see this again with Peter and Jesus. The very end of Jesus' life, before his resurrection, he's in the garden the night when he would be betrayed. He's speaking to Peter from the upper room and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter you know, aggressively denies this. Jesus, you're my best friend. There is no way that I would deny you. Look how, I mean, he's probably thinking, I've given so many years of my life to you. I've given three years of my life to you. I'm devoted to you. I am your best friend. And then a short time later, Peter proves Jesus right, denies him three times. Jesus is crucified. So the last interaction that Peter has with Jesus is he's denying him. Jesus is crucified. He's buried. He comes forth alive on the third day, resurrected. And there's tension. 
that Peter feels certainly between Jesus and himself. He's denied him three times. What's Jesus going to do? What's he going to say? I mean, they've had this friendship. We read this encounter where Jesus is at the beach and Peter's there. And here's what we don't read. We don't read Jesus say, hey, Peter, come over here. And looks at him and says, listen, you really disappointed me. You were unfaithful to me and, and you really severed this relationship. This friendship, the trust is gone. And if you want this friendship to be restored, you need to become a better man. I mean, it's going to take time because that really wounded me. That was really hurtful. You were unfaithful to me. You were not loyal. We don't read that. We read that Jesus on the beach, he's making breakfast. He invites Peter to come eat. Had to have been an amazing breakfast. They eat breakfast together and Jesus looks at Peter and he gives him encouragement. He tells him, he says, feed my sheep. He asks him, do you love me? Peter responds, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me more than these? Feed my lambs. He encourages him what? To go be the man he's meant to be, which is the man to build the church. See, Jesus is loyal to Peter at all times. Even when Peter was unfaithful, Jesus was faithful to him. He was loyal. He preserved the friendship. He walked with him and encouraged him to be a better man. Didn't say, hey, go fix yourself. Get better. We've got to rebuild this trust. You were unfaithful, so it's over. No. He was loyal. He stayed committed and he encouraged him. Because a friendship requires loyalty at all times. Which is love at all times. Do your friendships have loyalty? If you can think about those close friends in your life that, that you need to be maybe more intentional to be in close proximity to, is there loyalty? Do you value showing loyalty? And, and are you showing loyalty to your friends? And you may feel like, I don't know. I, I need to kind of develop that, think through that. Well, sometimes what we think is the way that we develop loyalty is just by being in proximity. Like, I just need to spend more time. If I'm, I'm around them more face-to-face or we connect more digitally, then, then we'll develop loyalty. But you will not develop loyalty through proximity. You only develop loyalty through vulnerability. C.S. Lewis, the author and biblical scholar, he said, to love is to be vulnerable. To love is to be vulnerable. See, Jesus knew Peter and Peter knew Jesus. There was vulnerability. There was loyalty. You cannot be loyal to someone you don't know. You can't be loyal to somebody you don't know and someone cannot be loyal to you unless they know you. If you want to see loyalty developed in your friendships, which is required for real friendships and how love works in your friendships, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be real. You have to be honest because you can only be loyal to somebody you know. And listen, church, if you seek to develop friendships where love is working in such a way that there's proximity and where there's loyalty, what you will experience is joy. What will be produced is joy. I mean, you can imagine that, right? Like the sum 
of loyalty and proximity and a friendship is joy. But you don't have to imagine it because God's word reveals it. Listen to this. The joy of friendship is so vital. It is so necessary that you cannot experience paradise without it. The joy of friendship is so necessary that you cannot experience paradise without it. Very beginning of scripture, before sin, in the garden, we read about Adam. Adam was alone without a friend for 24 hours, and God said it wasn't good. And he made him a best friend named Eve. Paradise was not complete without friendship. And then we look forward to our eternal home as followers of Christ, as children of God in the new heavens of the new earth. And what do we see? It is a city full of friends. We are friends with God and we are friends with one another. And our friendship has been perfected to where we experience perfect joy because there's no tears, there's no pain, there's no injustice. You cannot experience paradise without the joy of friendship in fact jesus's mission was to make friends of sinners his mission was to make friends of sinners look what jesus says in john 15 he says greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends and you are my friends if you do what i command you no longer do i call you servants For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Jesus' mission was to make you a friend. See, Jesus was in proximity to the 12 disciples in a very unique way. But he was in proximity to you. He came from heaven to earth to establish a friendship with you, to be near to you. And he was loyal to you. See, Jesus shares the word of truth that we receive, and it's not always easy to receive. Sometimes it rebukes us and it challenges us. Sometimes it encourages us and supports us, but he shares it with us because he's loyal to us. And we read in the garden again when Jesus is praying to the Father that he does not want to go to the cross. He says, Father, take this cup from me if you will, but if it's not my will, I want it to be your will. He is loyal to the friendships that he came to this earth to establish through his death and so he sacrifices his life for you and for me to make us friends. Why? So that we might experience joy. Jesus says that I have come to make your joy complete. How is your joy complete? By becoming a friend of God through faith in Christ. Isn't that amazing? See, Jesus gives us the example. We would be wise to follow his lead to see the importance of friendship, to seek to be in proximity with our friends and be intentional about it, to be loyal by being vulnerable and then experience the joy that it is to have close friends. Maybe thinking, man, how do I, how do I go do that this week? Well, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who is a philosopher and writer, he said this, The only way to have a friend is to be one. The only way to have a friend is to be one, is for you to seek to be in proximity, is for you to establish those close friends and be intentional. It's for you to be loyal and vulnerable. The only way to have a friend is to be one. I pray that we would be good friends this week. 
And I want to invite you to come to God tonight if you don't feel as if you're a friend of God. To understand what Jesus said, that he has come to lay down his life for his friends. And it doesn't mean that you have to work your way towards some type of of moral stance. We've already seen with Peter that he was faithful to him when Peter was unfaithful. The word tells us that we come to Jesus through surrender, through faith. I want to invite you to come to faith, to see that Jesus' mission was to make a friend of God out of you. That though you may be a sinner, you can be a friend. You can experience the joy of that friendship with Jesus. So if that is you, and you're sensing that in your heart tonight, will you pray with me as we close our time? And then would you let us know if you pray to prayer faith to journey with us in faith. And if you're interested in being baptized, we have a baptism coming up at the end of May. We'd love to let you know about. So will you pray with me? God, I am a sinner. But thank you for making me a friend through your death and resurrection. God, I surrender my life to you. I thank you that you are faithful to me even though I have been unfaithful to you. Would I experience your nearness now? Would I know of your loyalty Would you fill me with joy? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.